Hey everyone, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Our goal at Renaissance is to expose the heart of our city to the truth and love of Jesus. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow us on social media by searching Renaissance Decatur, or you can connect with us at renaissancedecatur.org. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Good evening, everyone. How are you? Well, I believe you. Yes, welcome. It's nice to see all of you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And I've had the last four Sundays off as we've been in a a four-week series that we like to do every summer where we invite different speakers to come in and share something with us. And we call that series That One Thing. And the question that we asked some people to answer this year is, of all the things that Jesus says in the Bible, of all the things that Jesus said, what's that one thing that inspires you the most? And so for the past four weeks, we've had friends come in and talk to us about those things that have been inspirational to them, um, especially from the words of Jesus. But I have to tell you, um, I learned something, and I'll just share this with you as we get started. Um, I learned something in those four weeks. I have no capacity to serve the needs of every person in this church to 100% fullness. I cannot do that. In fact, I don't think God's designed me to do that. So I was reminded of that again when other people come in and share the stories of their faith and how God has led them. I was blown away when Megan was preaching last week and it just hit me. I'm like, she's gonna minister to a group of people that I just can't minister to. So I want you to know this. I'm committed to serving you the best way we possibly can. Um, and I'm convinced that that's going to require more, vo- more voices up here. Would you agree with me? Um, I know you're like, you want to hear me all the time. I know. <laughs> but no, no, I just I want to make sure that, that God is able to speak to us in a way that we can hear from him and understand from him. Our world is a place, um, and I was reminded of that again this week, um, that seems at times tumultuous. Would you agree? I've been binge watching a television show. I won't tell you the name of it because you'll make fun of me. But (laughs) it's on Netflix, and it's a drama about the president of the United States. And in one of the seasons, uh, they're going through a re-election campaign or something like this. And and all of a sudden, my my blood pressure started to go up just watching this drama unfold. And it dawns on me that next year, we're going to enter into an election cycle here in the United States where we'll elect a president, maybe a new one, maybe the same one. And for many of you, you're like, yay, maybe a new one. And for some of you, no, not a new one. We want the same one and, and all of that. And I just know this, that what happens on November 3rd, Um, As we lean into that, it brings a certain level of uncertainty to our lives, not just politically, but economically. Then I look around, I see all the young people walking back from camp. Well done. Jack's back, baby. (laughs) And and I I consider the end of summer as kids go off to school or back into maybe their senior year of high school and and how everything is going to change and just look a little bit differently. It's not going to be what it was last year. And I hate to break some of your hearts, but the friends that you used to run with last year might not be there. And, and everything just changes. In fact, it's, it's just part of life for us. 
there's, there's never been a moment that, that life doesn't seem to be moving forward and we're, we're stuck back here. And in fact, when we're singing these songs earlier, we talk about Jesus being above everything. Nations rise and nations fall. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But Jesus is always the same. Jesus is that pylon, if you will, that stake in the middle of everything that's crazy that we tether ourselves towards. So regardless of the situations around us, regardless of the decisions we have to make to follow after him, we can always rely on and trust in Jesus, yes? And yet there are days when we feel like the thing that we're tethered to is a bungee cord and we're just whipped back and forth. We don't know if we're coming or going. There's issues of immigration happening in our world today. The, the marriage and sexuality stands ever before the church. And how do we respond to people who are dealing with issues in that? How do we talk to people and share the love of Christ to all people who want to come and hear? All of these things cause my mind to just flex and stress. And yet, as I told TJ this morning, I felt ministered to in the worship today. I felt like God was saying, it's fine. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced the Lord wants to remind us of that always. It's fine. I'm over all we were singing. Today, we're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians. We've been studying 1 Corinthians for a while. We took a little four-week break so other people could come in and speak. But I want to get back to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 7, and you can follow along in your Bible. We're going to read verses 25 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, underneath the seat close to you is a black hardback Bible, and you can turn to page 956. And as you're turning there, looking at this passage, I want to remind us of the situation that's taking place in this ancient Greek city called Corinth. Corinth was a city many centuries before the, the writing of this letter that had found itself decimated. And because it lands in a pretty prominent place in the world, there's a seaport to the east and a seaport to the west. The city had a revival of sorts as commerce came through trade ships that went through the region. And where trade came, money followed. And where money came, people followed. And where people came, vice and wealth and all kinds of craziness followed. The, the city of Corinth was known for its debauchery, known for its wickedness, its pagan worship. Arche archaeologists have unearthed no less than 26 different pagan temples in the city of Corinth. And in the middle of that dark place, the gospel of Jesus was brought by a man, the Apostle Paul, and lives began to change. The gospel of Jesus began to save people. Many of them pulled out of their own deplorable situations, leaving their families behind, following Jesus as best they knew to do. Paul moves on to another part of the world, plants more churches over there, and their young Christian faith begins to waver. Many of them fall back to their old ways. Anybody, does this resonate with anyone? Don't raise your hand. Where Jesus was, woo, Jesus, and then a couple years later, like, oh, he's okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Paul hears of what's happening to his young Christian brothers and sisters, and he writes a letter to them, and he wants to encourage them and edify them and rebuke them and all kinds of stuff, and, and they read the letter, and they have some questions for him, so they write a letter back. We don't have either of those letters, but in this letter, Paul appears to be addressing some of the concerns and questions that they have. They have questions about sexuality, questions about marriage. What does it mean to follow Christ in a world that's so tumultuous at times? How can we follow God and know that we're doing it correctly? And Paul gives answers to them. 
And I think that God would give us answers today too in the writings of Paul, that we would hear the heart of a pastor who's speaking to a group of Christians who are trying to work it out in their life. Here's what I believe. Side note, I'm off notes already, so it's going to be a fun night, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Here's what I believe the Lord would want for for us as a church. Little C Church Renaissance is the Lord would want us to begin to experience a level of growth and maturity that many of us have yet to experience before. For some of us who've been Christian some many years, two decades for me, 23 years I've been a Christian, and yet there are many things in my life that I ache for maturity in. Anyone else? And many others come to faith for the first time at this church. Don't raise your hands, but I know many people who have come to faith in Christ in this place. In the last few years, you've found Jesus, and the Lord wants for you to grow and to mature. But to do that, we must, we must do things correctly and in order. We must be pastored and guided and, and led into the things of maturity. And Paul is addressing young Christians in Corinth, and if we would listen to the Lord, he would be addressing young Christians at Renaissance tonight. That's a pretty big up, upsell, would you agree? So let's read the passage and see if I'm uh, not all wet. So let's start in verse 25. and We will put the words on the screen here. He says, now concerning the betrothed. Again, this is a question that they had written Paul about, and he's responding to the question. So about the betrothed, the question. We'll get to this in a minute, but this is his response. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress of the tumultuous affairs of the day, that it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Well, then don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Then don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, he says, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you all of that, he says. And this is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they have no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. What what is he saying? He's he's just simply saying, the time is short, ladies and gentlemen, so let's live like that. It's kind of confusing, but that's the gist of what he's trying to say. He said, for the present form of this world is surely passing away. Verse 32. So I want you, young Christians, I want you to understand this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Amen. And his interests are divided. Yes, good. Thank you. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. And I say these things for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and, for this reason, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord Jesus. If you're a person who underlines in your Bible, wink, wink, hint, hint, that's an underlined moment that Pastor Paul would desire this for his people to be undivided in their devotion to Jesus Christ, their Lord. And I have to admit, I agree. 
If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, he says, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. (laughs) What is he saying? I have no idea. Anyways, a wife is bound to her husband, verse 39, as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet he says, verse 40, it is my judgment that she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think this, I think that I too have the spirit of God, period, end of sentence. There's your answer. So there's, well, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's just posture ourselves before the Lord, asking for guidance and help. So let's just pray together and see if God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We trust you fully. Uh, When we were singing earlier that you are Lord over all, we even believe you're Lord over this little bitty Bible study in a small town in central Illinois. We thank you that you, you peer upon us with interest and kindness and that you desire to speak to your people. So we come before you asking the Holy Spirit who's available to us to open our eyes, to open our ears, that we would hear from you, that we would be encouraged by you, And when we have gone wrong in our thinking that you would rebuke us and correct us, we give you permission to change our opinion about things. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. As we we lean into that passage, there's just a couple things that we got to be mindful of to even discern what's happening here. Number one, Paul, as I said earlier, is responding to a question that they specifically have asked him about the issues going on in their church, in their city at that time. And for us to think anything other than that is to do a disservice to the passage. So these words are a response to a group of people who are now dead and are not on the world anymore, right? And for us to try to lay those passages over our lives is to not hear them correctly. Paul's responding to them. They have questions about the betrothed. Many of your English translations use the word virgins. They have questions about the virgins in their town. And this is not just people who have uh, yet to have sexual activity. These is specifically talking about young women who have been engaged, to use our modern language, to a person... And they're wondering now that the gospel of Jesus has come into their life. Should we still pursue this marriage thing? Should we still follow after this? Maybe, for example, the young woman, the betrothed, whatever, has become a believer and she's engaged to a man who's not a believer. Pastor Paul, should I go ahead and marry him is the question. Maybe it's the parent. Back in that day, the second thing to remember is their culture is radically different than ours. I mean, in some ways it's very similar, but in other ways, radically different. Oftentimes the parents decided who married who, right? Arranged marriages was a thing. And so they would say as moms and dads, you're going to marry the Smith boy or whatever. And you're like, not the Smith boy. Why on earth? I'm sorry. Anyways, (laughs) but that's a thing. And so now that Jesus has come in, there's a new Lord in their life. And do do I follow after that? Do I still send my daughter 
my young daughter to marry into that family when they're still worshiping at the pagan temples? Do I still send my daughter into that thing? And uh, Pastor Paul, what should we do? I know that in Paul's response, it speaks into our world for a minute. Paul's response here in verse 25 begins like this. Concerning the betrothed, concerning the questions of the virgins that are engaged to be married. He says, I have no command from the Lord. Notice this. First off, the first thing that Paul does is he runs to Jesus to see what Jesus has said about the issue. That he goes into the annals of his memory banks. He has studied under Jesus. We're not 100% certain how that worked, but I'm sure it was amazing and wonderful. But he knows the words of Jesus. He's been taught by Jesus. And when the question comes to Pastor Paul, he goes first to the words of Christ. What has Jesus said about this issue? And I think the thing that we should take away first off is that that should be the first response that we always have when we're about to make a decision that is going to shape the future of our lives in this crazy, tumultuous world around us. What has Jesus said about this situation? Do you know? Maybe that's the follow-up question. Not just what has Jesus said. Do you know what Jesus has said? I was a young Christian 20-some years ago. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I have I mean, Jesus Christ was as real as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny to me, right? Until I became a believer. And all of a sudden, I'm making decisions for the future of my life. I found a pretty sweet girl. She married me. I married her. 23 years later, we're still together. It's wonderful. But I have all these questions, and I'm seeking advice on how to move forward in my life. And I had no understanding on what Jesus said. So a good and godly friend of mine said, Jeff, (laughs) you need to read your Bible. So here's that moment in the service where the pastor says, y'all need to read your Bible more. And you're like, "Uh, I don't want to. And I understand, it's difficult to understand. It's hard to, to discern all this stuff. This passage alone proves my point. This is a difficult passage to understand. So what if I were to rephrase that? What if I said, let's not just read our Bibles more. What if I told you, encouraged you, that it's probably best just to read the biographies of Jesus? In the New Testament, we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the, the writings of Jesus and his life, and all the things he said are pretty much contained in those books. So just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, I'll refine it, refine it even more. Why don't you just read the Gospel of John? Just start there. You can read it on a lunch break. A cigarette break, a coffee break. You can read that thing super fast. And inside of that, it speaks of the love that God has for his people through his son, Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that anyone who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. On and on it goes. And in that book, you'll hear the words of God and what motivates Jesus, his son. So when you're making decisions for your life, what does Jesus say about them? And if you don't know, stop. Uh, Stop making excuses and lean in to know what he says. Please. This book is fantastically amazing that God has saved these words for millennia for us to have. I want you to hear this. For centuries, the church, much like us, did not have copies of the scripture. Until the invention of the Gutenberg Bible Press or the the Gutenberg Press, not many people had Bibles at all. We are so blessed to have this and we treat it like the, uh, the holder for our remote control. Or if you're like me, my 
coaster. <laughs> I've replaced Bibles because of the coaster marks, because I feel embarrassed by them. Pray for me. <laughs> I don't know if I can follow a guy who uses his Bible as a coaster, is my thinking. You have to know the words of Jesus to obey them, don't you? Maybe that's the other thing. When you hear the words of Jesus, obey them. This last week, this is a situation that may or may not have happened in my house. I do air quotes here because I don't want to embarrass myself too much. But my wife and I are preparing dinner, and I'm cleaning out the refrigerator, taking a bunch of leftovers and putting them into the garbage disposal in, in the sink. And unbeknownst to me, when I flipped the switch on for the disposal, something had already fallen down inside of it. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it made a crazy amount of noise. So I stick my hand in there to grab it, only to pull out bloody fingers. I have no idea what's inside there. Well, I found out later, if you want to know. It was a, a shot glass. A glass, shot glass, had fallen into that sink disposal, and I did not know it. Which raises two important questions. Number one, you're asking yourself this. Why on earth does Pastor Jeff have shot glasses? <laughs> and I'll just add this for religious purposes. I'm just going to that. Y'all don't need to know. <laughs> it's medicine. Anyways, then the second question is, why on earth does my 15-year-old daughter have a need of a shot glass? That's maybe the more important question. The answer involves something like apple cider vinegar and some bets with their friends. I have no idea, but it sounded fun. So anyways, I try as I can or my, to get all the glass out. I can't do it until I realize I just got to take the disposal out and flip it upside down and dump everything out, which is not exactly what I intended to do with my evening. So I've done it many times before I take it out. Um, dump everything out and go to put it back in. It's in this moment that um, I'm struggling in a way that I haven't struggled before. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. I'll be 50 this year. My shoulder's not as strong as it used to be. And I'm underneath the counter and I'm beginning to murmur things under my breath, things that I probably shouldn't murmur. Again, this is a hypothetical situation. It may or may not have happened in my life last week. <laughs> and in the middle of this situation, I hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus is at a prayer meeting, if you will. People are coming to him, and he's praying for them, and it's really cool. And all of a sudden, someone thinks it's a great idea to bring the preschool kids to Jesus, and they pull up in this little short bus, and everybody gets out buddy system, and they walk up to Jesus <laughs> as Jesus begins to pray for them. And for some reason, one of the disciples sticks out his hand, and he stops them. And Jesus rebukes his disciples, and he says, don't, don't hinder his words. Do not hinder the children from coming to me. Now, these are the words of Christ. And in the middle of this event that may or may not have happened, I hear that in my mind. And even though I've never done this physically to a person, I began to wonder if I'm not hindering my children from coming to Jesus because their dad is a pastor. He's supposed to have a great relationship with Jesus. And he's acting a fool at the kitchen sink right now. Have I, have I hindered my children from coming to Jesus. I was also reminded of the words of Paul just a few chapters before that says that my body is broken as it is, is still a temple that the Holy Spirit desires to dwell. And why on earth would I rebuke it with the language that I was rebuking it in? So do you know the words of Christ? Go to Christ first. This is the response that Pastor Paul has to his and congregates questions. These would be the, the response that if you were to call me, Jeff, can we meet about this? Well, I don't want to do this. I, I would come and say, what is Jesus saying about this issue? We must seek him first and hear what he has to say. And in this situation, there is no response from Jesus here. 
Paul looks into all the things that Jesus has said and finds no command from God. This is no ethical imperative here. What should we do? Jesus hasn't said. So then he says, I'll do this. I will give you my judgment, verse 25. I believe it's trustworthy, and I believe it's good. Now, I know this, that the Holy Spirit is made available to us, and we can use godly discernment and the wisdom of God to help make some of these decisions. And so he says this, verse 26. I think, <laughs> I mean, this ain't God saying this. This is me. I think that in view of the present distress, that in view of the present or upcoming distress, that it would be good to A, B, and C. And then he lays out the answer to his question. See, if you don't know the words of God, or maybe Jesus hasn't spoken about it, then we have to go to discernment and judgment. And when we do so, we have to look at the situation that we find ourselves in. Now, he says there's a present distress happening in the Corinthian church. We don't know what it is. Many scholars disagree as to what it is. Some argue that maybe persecution is beginning to ramp up in the church against or in Corinth against Christians. In fact, in a few short years from now, a young 16-year-old becomes Caesar. His name is Nero, and he will levy against the church the greatest persecution the world has possibly ever Known. Paul may be in a prophetic utterance is saying, hey, persecution's coming because of all of this. I would maybe not get married right now because it's going to be a lot more difficult for you, blah, 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 blah. But he's looking at the situation in their lives. It's maybe a famine that's taking place. Maybe the people are just having a hard time finding food and it's already hard to feed yourself, let alone your wife and then your gaggle of kids that you have after you get married. So maybe it's best in light of this present distress to wait. So we seek guidance from God and we look to others to help us in this. Can I say this to you? When you go to your friends looking for advice, make sure it's someone who has a track record of making good decisions. Well, number one, make sure they're a Christian. Don't just pick your old friend from high school. I love him, but he still lives in his mom's basement, if you know what I'm saying. And he, he's got a track record of the worst decisions ever. He's not the guy you need to take advice from. You go to the people in the church who's been around for a long time. You've seen some faithfulness in their lives, and you ask them, what do you think I should do? Is this making sense to you? You call pastors, you ask, what do you think we should do? We know the situation in your life, and we can speak advice to it. Uh, I mentioned a couple times I've, I've been a Christian 20-some years, but since I was a young child, I longed to be a musician. I mean, like a world-renowned musician, like in a band, record deals, the whole deal. And since I was a young boy, that's all I chased after. I'm 26 years, old. 26 years old, I meet a girl and Jesus in the same year. My life just radically changed, was turned upside down. Um, and then uh, the years that followed, I began to question whether or not the, the passion and the desire that I had to become a rock star, it's fun to say, become a rock star was at all going to fit into my new identity as a believer or follower of Christ. So imagine the decisions that I had to make. I didn't know if I wanted to continue with this or not continue with this. So I eventually went to my bandmates and said, listen, here's the, the reality. I'm married now. I'm a Jesus guy now. I don't know that I want to go live on a tour bus. I love you guys. You've been my friend since I was 15 years old. I'm out. I'm out. This is the best decision I ever made. Know this, after uh, a year or so of me leaving the band, they went on to get a record deal right, uh, with a real record company, Universal Records, went to Canada, recorded under a real producer, went on a real tour, and I'm sitting over here, and people ask me, Jeff, are you upset? Are you jealous? I'm like, no. I made the right decision to follow after Jesus. It was the right thing for me. 
And I know this to be true because what Paul says in verse 32, that in his response to his people, he says, this is what's driving me. I want you to be free from anxieties or concerns of this world. Like the decisions that you're making in your life to follow after God, it should lead you to a place that doesn't cause more stress for you, more anxiousness for you, more concerns in this world for you. We lean into the things of God and we trust him to be over it all. Our life should become less anxious. In fact, the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Let tomorrow be anxious for itself. Jesus, God, has a different plan for us. Pastor Paul understands this. If you were to ask me what's next for my life, I don't know. But let's pick the choice. <laughs> let's make the decision that leads us to less anxiety, yes? And he even says at the end of verse 35, I say all this stuff for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. It's the ultimate reality that Pastor Paul has for his people. Whatever decision we make now, whatever we do next, we must make sure it does not divide our devotion to Jesus. When I made that decision to not be in the band any longer, it was based on that. I didn't want my devotion to be divided. I wanted to follow Jesus in everything. In the Old Testament, there's a, a book called Psalms. Many of you have heard of it. It's a, a book of poetry and songs. It's wonderful. And in it, um, there's a lot of great prayers from a lot of great men um, and women who have followed God. Uh, David, he was a king of Israel. Um, one time is running for his life. His enemies are trying to kill him. You can imagine the tumultuous life that he's living. He's hiding out in caves. And at one point, he writes a psalm to God. It's a prayer to God. It's Psalm 86. And I'll read a few verses for you, starting in verse 10. And David says these words, You are great. God, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And I'm asking you to unite my heart to fear your name. This is the desire of David to follow after God. The Hebrew could probably be translated this way. Unite my heart and my heart together which points to this reality that many of us have a dual nature, a dual heart situation in us. We have a desire and a heart to follow after the things of God and another heart or a desire to follow after the things of you. <laughs> which, which one do we pick? David, looking to the greatness of God, says, I want you to unite my hearts together so that my devotion is fully and holy towards you. you. You know this, you sense this in your own life. When Jesus speaks to his disciples about um, following after him, the, the imperative is this, is that you must deny yourself daily, he would say. Take up your cross, which is, is a picture of putting your selfish desires to death. You want to be a rock star? See ya. And follow after me. The kingdom of God is a upside down, backwards kingdom. If you want to be first, then you need to learn to be last. 
You become subservient to the things that God has for us, knowing full well that he's leading us into a life that is filled with abundance and goodness. David says, I want you to unite my heart and my heart so that I may fear your name, verse 12. And I give thanks to you, God, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And this is why Jesus is deserving of our undivided devotion. Verse 13, for great is your steadfast love towards me. If there's a reason, if it's a question we're asking, why does Jesus deserve our undivided and d- devotion? Why does he deserve everything that we have? It's because he is steadfast, excuse me, in his love towards you, towards me. Steadfast meaning this, it's never changing. It's always the same. Re- regardless of your church attendance, your devotional life, your prayer life, your anything else, regardless of those, of those things, Jesus' love for us never, ever changes. And all he's asking is for the same type of devotion back. Amber said it earlier, you say yes to us all the time in spite of us some days. And our desire today is just to say yes to you. This is the prayer of David. Unite my heart to fear your name, your steadfast love towards me, God. He finishes this line. He says, you have delivered me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol or the depths of hell. David's life had been spared. His enemies won't take his life now, but he speaks to an ever-present reality that, that God is going to save his soul even from eternal death. The decisions we make in our life in the midst of this tumultuous world around us is based on the steadfast love of Jesus and his ability to do something that no one else can. He alone saves us. He alone brings us into a place of eternity. In John chapter 14, I'll finish with this. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says these words to them. This is before he is to die on a cross and raise again on the third day. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. I would, um, I would say the same things to us. If we could just hear Jesus say this to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. Verse two, in my father's house, there are many rooms. What he's saying in, in the place where my father God dwells, It's a big place. It's a place with many, many rooms. This is where God dwells. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And verse three, if I go, and if I go to this place, and if I prepare a place for you where God dwells forever and ever and ever, where he abides forever and ever and ever, if I say that that it's true, and that I've prepared a place for you, then I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And then he says, and you know, I I picture him almost, and you know the way that I'm going. You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, the smart one, says, huh? I don't know. Lord, we have no idea what you're saying. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, you know, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can come to God the Father except through me. No one can come to the place where God fully dwells except through me. Jesus is bringing steadfast love for us, not just to um, 
stabilize as best he can our tumultuous world around us, but he's bringing us into eternal existence with God the Father forever and ever and ever. And there is no other way to get there. And it's because of this is why God deserves our undivided devotion. These pauses, so you know, never bother me. If I've learned anything over these last 20-some years of following Jesus is the constant loving reminder from God, hey, Jeff, why don't you shut up for a little bit? (laughs) Why don't you shush for a moment? So when I do that, I just want you to know, sometimes I'm lost and I don't know what to say next, so I just "Eh, play it off like it's spiritual. But that's not what this was. Sometimes, i got, I got to be honest, that's what I do, but that's not what this is. What is God saying in your crazy, spinning out of control life? Have you tethered yourself to the things of Jesus? Have you tied yourself off to the unchanging, immutable one, Jesus, who Hebrews tells us is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he the one that we're bound to, or, or do we run through life chasing after fleeting desires of our own heart like mist and vapor and fog? What is driving you in your life? Pastor Paul, should I go to this college? Should I marry this boy? What about that cute girl in sixth hour? What about all of these things? And, and Pastor Paul would just say, What does Jesus want for you? Will these things divide your devotion towards me? Are these things going to draw you closer to me? And we use the discernment and the wisdom that God gives freely through his Holy Spirit to make the right choice. And then, if we screw it up, his love for us never changes. For 20-some years, I chased after the desires of my own heart and made mistake after mistake after mistake. And God, who is greater at hide-and-seek than you could possibly imagine, found me every single time. He found me in the midst of depression and anxiety. He found me in the midst of promiscuity and over drinking. He found me in the midst of desiring to be famous. He found me in the midst of all of these things because inside of me was something that he saw that even I didn't yet understand. And he lavished his love upon me. And when I finally received the love of Jesus, my life began to change. And for the last two decades, I've been trying to make the decisions based on my devotion to him. Hear me. Seek Jesus. Know his words. Make no more excuses for your bad decisions. You have before you every 
possible help available to you. You have the Bible, you have godly friends, you have pastors and elders in this church who will come alongside to help you seek help in these decisions in your life. I pray for all of us as I close and um, I just thank God for you. I was um, in the back corner just as worship was starting tonight. And I just, I close my eyes when I sing oftentimes and I just begin to hear people sing and the words that you're saying. Um, if you're like me, sometimes don't mean anything. I'm just singing the song. At this point, it's almost like Christian karaoke, if you know what I'm saying. Like I'm just singing it because it's up there. And yet something like inside of me was, was, it's almost as if like your very soul was singing the words and you didn't even know. It's like, like the real you inside of you longs for all of this stuff that we discuss and we sing. The real you inside of you, the one that God is wooing towards himself, aches for this. It longs for this. I just pray tonight we hear it, that we respond to it. We respond through um, repentance. It's a, it's a church word that just means to return to where God is. It means to turn 180. So if you're like me, maybe you found yourself sort of going your own way, chasing the desires of your natural carnal heart, then we repent and go back to where God is. And, and in the worship time that follows now is a wonderful opportunity to say those things, to confess those things to God. God, I blew it in this regard. God, I'm making the wrong decision here. God, I need help going here. And we return to where God is and we watch his faithfulness. We see the, the way that he loves us in spite of us some days. And then as we follow him, we begin to watch how God begins to lay low the, 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 the obstacles in our life. Uh, the Bible talks about valley, or mountains and hills will be laid low and valleys will be filled up so that the way that the, the believer would walk would be straight and true. God desires a straight path for us. God desires a straight um, life for us. Would you agree with that? And he'll, he'll do the work to make it so. He'll do the work. He'll lay the mountains down. He'll lift the valleys up and lead you into that. So we just trust God to do that. Would you, would you pray with me as we ask God to come and do what only God can do? God, we thank you for everything that you do. God, we ask that you come and be a part of our lives today. We seek your guidance. Jesus, you came to this earth to um, deliver us from our sins, our broken way of living. And we accept your gift of salvation. And now, God, we ask you to direct the rest of our lives, to direct our paths as we move forward. God, as we begin to sing these songs about your love and your work in our lives, may they become true to us. May the words that we sing not just sound good to the ears in this room, but may they echo off the chambers of the throne room in heaven. May you lean from your throne and hear us tonight, God. May you hear the, the singing of your beloved. May you hear the words of your people 
coming before you, seeking guidance, wanting to know what's next, asking you to be a part of our everyday life, God. God, we thank you, and we ask that you be with us now. We give you permission to noodle around in our lives, Lord. We give you permission to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We're so excited to see the things that God is doing in our community. And if you're looking for a way to get involved in that, then please go to rendicator.org and make a commitment to being a part of showing the people of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.